Tonight we'll be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 34, really as a, a continuation of the message for this morning, from this morning. So please look with me at uh, verse 19, we'll, beginning, we'll be beginning in verse 19 and reading through the end of the chapter, where Jesus speaks and says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable? Than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's where we'll end the reading of this section of God's word for tonight. And so as a continuation of the morning sermon, really we could, we could look at this as Jesus in chapter 6 kind of dives into the rest of our the way that our lives work as we live as Christians in this world. So he's kind of dealing this morning with what are the religious aspects of our lives, our prayer and our fasting um, and our, our giving. And we might say that he's dealing this evening with these three things with a kind of more of the secular aspect of our lives, although I understand that there's no such thing as secular when it comes to the kingdom of God. But he's really giving us an overall kingdom perspective on the necessities of our lives. There's money and, and food and clothing. And how are we to think of these things, these necessities of life, in the context of the kingdom of God? So why do we need to hear this? 
and part of what the main reason that we need to hear this, the, one of the main burdens of the text is anxiety. We are anxious people. And the people that Jesus is speaking to originally here on the south side of the mountain, they were anxious people. And we are more and more becoming a people, it seems, who are suffering from anxiety. You know the burdens of anxiety, and you also know in yourself or other people that anxiety can really overwhelm your whole life. And Jesus, again, as we've been saying for last week and this week, Jesus, he knows our hearts. He is the great physician. He's created us. And what he's addressing here as he applies these kingdom principles to us is once again, he's diving deep into our hearts and he's addressing the causes and cures for anxiety. So I have to begin this with a bit of a disclaimer. And that is, (laughs) I'm weak. And I am not trying to add to a burden of anxiety that you may have. And I get it that as I stand up here, there really is the danger that I could do that. So please do not let me add to your anxiety. So part of what I have to say in my disclaimer is that there may be causes for anxiety that Jesus is really only indirectly addressing here. So there may be things like environmental causes to anxiety. Like in thinking about this, there are things like injuries and surgeries. So those are, would be, I guess, one sort of environmental cause. And those things can actually cause anxiety in a, in a person. So I read from somewhere between 11 to 55% of people, that's kind of a broad spectrum, but these people who are suffering from some serious physical injury or also serious surgeries, they can suffer from things like post-traumatic stress disorder for up to 10 years after that incident. So I'm not trying to add to this burden to you in a place where Jesus is clearly trying to add comfort. Okay? Having said that, for my disclaimer, I'm also confident that no matter the reasons for your anxieties, that the Word of God is living and the Word of God is active. Right? It judges our thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And Jesus really is offering you a real comfort here. So it's my hope that through considering this text and through faith in Jesus Christ, that you would know more and more in your lives the peace of God, which passes all understanding. So to help us to think about these anxieties, necessities necessities of life, to help us think about our greatest good as we desire to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, we'll be using three points from our text. And those are, once again, on the back of your bulletin. Very efficient. The first point will be where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the second point is, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. And thirdly, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. So for our first point, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we've said, Jesus is the great physician. He's the one who knows what's in your heart. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him. He doesn't have to go researching what you're all about. He knows all of you. He knows what motivates you. He's the one who gave us the words that the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. And so we'll ask the Lord Jesus as the man of understanding to draw those things out of ourselves that sometimes we, very often, we don't even know about ourselves, right? And so we also ask that by his word and through his spirit that he would search us 
and examine us. So when Jesus addresses us about our hearts, he's addressing our deepest motivations, our deepest affections. He can be addressing even our deepest disappointments. So what he's doing is he's addressing the source of our anxieties, the source of our worries, the source even of our fears. All the issues of our lives flow from our hearts. As we thought about one proverb, another proverb that comes to mind, it's a good one to to consider is chapter 4 and verse 23 in Proverbs, which says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So I'd like to think here first about God's glory and about our anxious hearts. So as we've said, God created you. He created your heart, and he created you in his image. He's created your heart. He's created your heart to have desires, to have affections. And he's created you to have a heart with desires and affections that are also in his image. And in his image, like him, you've been created to have only one ultimate purpose, only one ultimate goal that is to be above all other goals in your life. And I hope you know that what that goal is from the catechism, right? That one ultimate goal in your life is God's glory. It's God's glory. So even in the children's catechism, which... I hope you're a catechizing congregation, but there's a catechism that kind of comes before the shorter catechism. That's the children's catechism. We taught this to all our kids, and it was great to hear their little voices. It was We asked the question, well, who made you? God. What else did God make? Everything. And why did God make you and everything? For his glory. And it's great to hear the children say that. It's the first question of our shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So Jonathan Edwards, in his book, it's called The End for Which God Created the World. And that word end means the goal, the goal for which God created the world. He makes the argument, that's a wonderful argument, that God himself is the fullness of, of all perfections. Something worth meditating on. God himself is the fullness of all perfections. In other words, there is no aspect of God in his being, there is no aspect of God which could be improved. He is perfect. He is the perfection of love. He is the perfection of justice. He's the perfection of truth. He's the perfection of peace. I was asked a question in a seminary class like, which is more in God, God's love or God's justice? And the answer is no. <laughs> he is the fullness of all perfections. And second, I want to note about God that everything God does, Jonathan Edwards teaches this in his book as well, everything he does, every one of his actions, therefore, are perfectly just and right and wonderful. So therefore, because God himself is perfect, and everything that God does is perfect. Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, therefore, that everything that God perfectly does is aimed at one perfect objective. 
It's aimed at one perfect objective, and that is his own glory. His own glory. So we see that idea expressed in the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8, where God says, I will not share my glory with another. God won't share his glory with anyone or anything else. He is the fullness of all perfections. And sometimes when we read a verse like that, we're like, well, wait a second. I won't share my glory with another. What is God being like a petulant child? I won't share my toys with someone else. Well, it's not like that. It's that nothing in the created universe can begin to compare with the uncreated perfection of God in his person, in his worth, in his work. Nothing can compare to God. Everything that God has created, it's true, is a reflection of his glory. And it's a wonderful reflection of his glory, but it's only a reflection. And compared to his true glory, it's kind of a dark reflection as well, as wonderful as it is. But the reality of God's glory is that his glory far surpasses anything in his creation. See, God has created us also in his image. And Jesus is teaching us about what that means in verses 19 through 24 of our text. We were created like God to store up that which is most valuable. God, Jesus teaches here, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We can be like God in that, in his image. We were also created to fix our eyes on that which is most glorious. Jesus says, if, the, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And if the light then within you is darkness... How deep is that darkness inside of you? And we were also created to serve one and love one master. That's God alone. And we're to serve and love him in the perfection of his glory. So this is the purpose for which God has created the universe. And it's the purpose for which he created you and me. That's why he's created all men. And Jesus, the one who created you and your heart, he is the great physician. He knows what's in the heart of a man. And Jesus also knows that we have sinful hearts. We are sinners. And he knows that in our own sinful nature that we will seek our own glory in the kingdom of this world. You cannot serve as your greatest good both God and the things of this world. You cannot serve both God and self. And attempting to do this is one of the great root causes of anxiety. So Jesus, he reveals to us this sinful tendency in our own hearts. As I said in verses 19 through 24, the text asks you, okay, well, what and where? What and where are you storing? What are you storing and where are you storing it? So if you look with me at verse 21, we see that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's kind of a strange thing. Where your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart. If your heart is located in the things of the kingdom of this world, where everything is subject to decay, where everything is subject to eventual loss, it only makes sense 
that your heart is also subject to the same decay, to the same loss, and to anxiety. Why? Because everything in this world ultimately will be lost. Solomon teaches about this through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, about the meaningless of trying to find lasting glory or lasting security in a world where everything is subject to decay. Meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You can't catch it. And secondly, the text of Matthew chapter 6 examines and questions you, well, what are you fixing your eyes on? What are you seeking? And I get it that we can go through this quickly tonight, but it's worth considering in your meditations this week. What are you seeking? Jesus teaches in verse 23 that if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You've been given eyes to see and to seek and to gaze upon that which is most beautiful in God's image. But if that which you're seeking and fixing your eyes on is your greatest good, is that darkness that will overwhelm your life with the deepest darkness. That is a great cause for anxiety. And thirdly, the text examines you and asks, what or who are you serving? We were created to serve. What and who or who are you serving? Jesus teaches in verse 24 that no one can serve two masters. And as I meditate on this text, I'm, text, I'm like, well, yeah, you can. No, Jesus isn't saying that you can't divide your affections. We can divide our affections. We can try to live in two worlds, one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world. And it's not that you don't have other goals. It's that you cannot have two equal and ultimate goals. You cannot have two masters. Everything you do, everything, every goal that you set up in your life, it will ultimately line up with your chief goal, with your main goal, that which you seek first. (coughs) And that's even your religious goals. So you can think about, we see this all the time, you can think about other people that we look to and look at. We don't need to be respecters of persons. We can think about how far some people have gone in their religion. And maybe you've heard about that evangelical leader who was exposed only after his death. This is back in 2020. So he used his worldwide ministry and its finances to serve the goals of his flesh. What he did is he built massage parlors and he was committing gross sexual immorality. And this was a man with a brilliant and enviable mind. And we can look at a person like that and say, boy, I wish I had his gifting. But, you know, it is quite possible that his heart was never devoted to Christ or choked out by the deceitfulness of this world. As we thought about our text this morning, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, that you have not revealed these things to the wise and learned, but you've revealed them to little children. So the questions are, what are you storing And what are you fixing your eyes on? And who are you serving? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that brings us to our second point, where Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, I tell you, do not worry. And again, as I read this text, it seems that everything Jesus has just said and we're thinking about in the previous verses should more be like, therefore, I tell you, 
be anxious. You need to worry about this. This is a big problem. So how can Jesus say, do not worry? Well, I also want to remember one of the interpretive principles that we use in the Sermon on the Mount, and we thought about last week especially, that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. We were thinking about that last week. But Jesus also said, I did not come to abolish the prophets. So I want to think about the prophets in this context where Jesus is saying, I didn't come to abolish the prophets. So think of the history of the prophets. As we think about the whole of the corpus of the scripture, there's a huge history of the prophets. And you know, it's every one of the prophets, the, the prophetic books, which have always been a great encouragement to God's people to not be anxious. Do not be anxious because you see the deliverance of the Lord. For God's people, you've always seen the deliverance of the Lord. So you can think of the great paradigm of deliverance in the Old Testament with the Exodus. That for 400 years, God's people were enslaved. But God sends Moses, the prophet, the great deliverer, and he sends the ten plagues. He delivered the firstborn of the people of Israel. God's people, he delivered them. And he delivered his people through the Red Sea and from Pharaoh's army. God is the great deliverer. And Jesus hasn't come to abolish the prophets. So I'll remind you of the prophets. As Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Or you can think about the prophets. We can think about this through the whole Old Testament. We'll be here for an awfully long time. In 2 Kings chapter 6, remember that Elisha, he was always spoiling the military plans of the king of Aram. Remember, the, the king of Aram is like, who's, who's going over to their side and telling them what my plans are? And they said, no, 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 it's not any of us. It's that prophet, Elisha. He tells the king what you say even in your bedroom. It's like he has a microphone and he's listening to us. And so Aram, he gets together his special forces team and he goes, we need to go and capture this guy. And so they go and they surround him. And Elisha and his servant, his servant looks up and says, oh no, it's time to worry. We're about to pay for this. And Elisha says, no. He says, the ones who are with us are more than the ones who are with them. Remember the prophets that God has always delivered. And I get it, we, we can't see that deliverance. But Elisha prayed, open the eyes of my servant so that he may see the flaming chariots of the Lord's army. Of course, he leads those men into, this, into the gates of Samaria. He captures them, makes actually friends out of enemies. Jesus hasn't come to abolish the law. He hasn't come to abolish the prophets. And this is one of the reasons why we, as we study God's word, we do not have to be anxious. We can take comfort from the prophets. But we also want to remember that Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Therefore, because I came to fulfill the prophets, I can say to you, do not worry. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. So as wonderful as the deliverances of the Lord are throughout the history of his people, there is no time when God's promises has ever have ever failed and as much as we really should and should take comfort from them, 
they also are only a reflection. They're really only a shadow of the redemption of God's people through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a very special way that only Jesus can say, therefore, therefore, in light of all these anxieties that I've just talked about, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life and do not worry about your body. That's what he's teaching in the text that follows. Because as the fulfillment of all of the prophets, Jesus is the one who is the great deliverer. Jesus is the one who can say, do not worry about your life because he has come to redeem your life. And Jesus is the one who can say, do not worry about your body because I am the one who has come to redeem your body. Your greatest anxieties, whatever they are in your life, whatever they are in your body, Jesus has been sent to redeem you. So think of the corruption that Jesus talks about. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. We can think about the corruptions of decay, but only Jesus can save from the corruptions of decay. Or you can think of the darkness that is in you. You can think of the darkness of sin. And you can think of the darkness of the wages of sin, which is death. And how dark is that inside of us? But you see, only Jesus can save you from that darkness. And isn't that a wonderful and simple promise that says Jesus is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. And no one can serve two masters. You think of the redemption from Egypt. You think of the redemption from Aram or from the Assyrians. Jesus teaches this, that the one who sins is a slave to sin. Think of a cruel master, sin, the slave to sin. And we know that those wages of sin are death. But Jesus has come to redeem you, not only from the cruel slavery of Egypt, he's come to to save you from your cruelest master, from sin and from death and from Satan. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophets, and Jesus has accomplished this redemption through his own blood. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that you inherited from your forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. You have been redeemed by his blood. So as wonderful as all of the deliveries of the Lord are throughout all of the history of God's people, and as much as we should and ought to take comfort from them, they are only a reflection, they're a shadow of the redemption of God's people through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of that and say, then the burden of our text works like this. If God has done the greatest thing, redemption of his beloved sons and daughters through the blood of Jesus, if God has done the greatest thing, greater than all of the universes, then will he not do the least things? If God has done the greatest things, will he not do the lesser things? This is 
the burden of Jesus' argument in the text. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry. Only Jesus can tell us, do not worry. And that brings us to our last point, where he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So if you look with me at verse 26 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And he asks this question, Is not life more important than food? Is not life more important than food? Yep. But what I understand Jesus' question to be doing here is it's representative of all of our concerns about our lives. It's representative. So we may have great concerns about our lives, and yes, these are tied to our bodies, but we can have great concerns for our lives, for our health. We can have great concerns for our lives, for our safety, down to even the smaller concerns, what we might think of the superficial concerns about the food that we need to sustain our lives. You see, Jesus' argument here works like this. He has given you the greatest of all things. Will he fail to give you the least? Will he fail to give you the, le- the lesser? See, if you understand the image, Jesus is saying it's like you're trying to study the stars through a microscope. Or it's like you're trying to study a blood cell through a telescope. We need new eyes, right? We need a new heart. And it's as if, it's as if Jesus takes the heart of your anxieties and he holds them up to a circus mirror. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things, but it makes small things look very big and big things look very small. And look at, in our text, how Jesus compares the huge and the inexplicable with the smallest and tiniest of things to show you your father and to show you the father's love for you. He says, is not life more important than food? So you can think, Where did your life come from? Who gave you your life? And who sustains your life? It's an amazing promise of the scripture that Jesus, as he sits at the right hand of God in Hebrews chapter 1, that he is the one who sustains all things by the power of his word. If he were to withdraw the sustaining power of his word, you'd have a problem with your life because it would end. And as we think about what is your life, we also have to think about this. Is, isn't your life the most amazing and the most astonishing thing that God has done for you? He has given you life. And you have done nothing to be the possessor of what is really the greatest creative feat in the entire universe. You are the possessor of human life. And God gave this to you. We need to be reminded of things like that sometimes. And Jesus is asking us in the text, and in light of this, are you worried? Are you concerned for the things that you need to sustain that life? See, we're seeing things that are small as if they're much bigger. And if God, your heavenly Father, your Father, if he has given you life, are you also are you worried then that he will not give you the things that are almost infinitely beneath that. 
that those things that you need to sustain that life. And Jesus asks, well, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So look with me at verse 26, where Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So as we think about the details of God's providence here that Jesus is talking about, these things, we don't even think about them. We don't think about food for sparrows. These minuscule things, they're way beneath our concern, but they're not beneath your heavenly Father's concern. And if God cares for even the least of these little creatures, if he cares about them and the food that they need to sustain their lives, isn't he going to be concerned for the things that his beloved sons and daughters need, even those things which are greater than the food that we eat? So this is something which is really almost beyond comparison. So is your heavenly father, the one who cared enough, the one who loved you enough to send his only beloved begotten son, he sent him to die so that you might have eternal life. Will he neglect your temporal life? And the answer is, it's folly to think that that would be so. So we are not just creatures that have this life, that eternal soul, but we also have a body which that life inhabits. And so now Jesus turns in the text to consider the body. He says in verse 25, is not the body more important than clothes? And in verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? So again, I understand that what Jesus is doing here, his question is, it's representative about all of our concerns about our bodies. From those great concerns that we have, our sicknesses, our pains, our aging, our different sufferings, down to the least and superficial, more superficial concerns of our clothing. And as I was thinking about our bodies, I ran across this um, article talking about how our bodies are composed. And I'll just share this with you. 99%, so almost all of it, our bodies are composed by just six elements. 99% of it. It's amazing. And 0.85, if you're a mathematician, now we're at 99.85, of the other mass, less than 1%, It's made up of 11 different elements. All right, so then you're like, as the mathematician, we still need 0.15. That's true. So that 0.15 of the human body is composed by what are called trace elements. And some of those little trace elements, 0.15 of the percent of your body, some of those are essential for life. Like if you didn't have them, you would die. This is the way that God has created you. And Jesus, then he turns in our text to say, wow, see how the lilies of the field grow, Jesus says. Think about the flowers and think about the needs that you have for your body. These lilies of the field, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the one with the greatest dress in the history of man, certainly up to that time, Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. We don't care about it at all. You think about, I I don't see it as much in Colorado, but in New York, the plant that everybody hates and has to destroy is the dandelion. 
So I do see some of them around here. But you can think about these. They're so abundant. They grow like weeds, and we run them over with a lawnmower with great delight, or we dig them out and poison them. We want to get rid of them. They're beautiful little flowers. But Jesus is comforting us and saying, think about God's providence. Think about God's providence. His providential care for his creation, it's so abundant. His care of the superficial beauty of his creation is so abundant that it's almost wasteful. And without trying to be irreverent, and I hope I'm not, it's like it's almost as if God's providence is improvident. The God who scatters beauty everywhere, will he neglect to care for you? Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. So your heavenly Father, the one who gave you life, the one who knit your body together in your mother's womb, cell by cell, the one who ordained your first breath, the one who sustains all your breaths and all your heartbeats from then until now, those things which are so lowly as to be beneath your concern and way out of your control, has not our Father also ordained our last breath? The one who ordained our first has also ordained our last. And Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Your life is in the care of your heavenly Father. And we don't want it anywhere else. It's the perfect place for us to be. Remember that Psalm 116 teaches us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his loved ones. So as, as we in our different ways walk through the valley of the shadow of death, hear that promise that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his loved ones. Jesus is the one who can say, therefore, with all of these anxieties, I tell you, do not worry. Remember the love of your Father for you. The one who has given you your body, the one who has perfectly ordained the number of days that you have, he has also secured the resurrection of your body. You see, that's not the end of the story. Our life and our body will last forever. <coughs> Death is not the end for the Christian. And when Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry, don't forget that this is the exact same one who stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus, who wept for Lazarus, and who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he reached into death with a word and called Lazarus out. This is the one who has all power, as we were also reading about in Mark chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus says about new life, he says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming. There's a time in the future that Jesus is talking about. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he is the one who takes care, has taken care of the greatest details of our life, the greatest details of our body, our eternal life to be fulfilled at the time when Jesus returns, the resurrection of our body, and will he fail to take care of the smaller details? I have to turn over, and here's another verse for your consideration. 
but to Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, where Jesus says, uh, Paul says, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So back to that idea of the circus mirror, whatever it is, Paul says, our present sufferings, they are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us in our eternal life, in our resurrected bodies. It's like we would, I don't even know if we will think back on the problems that we suffered here. As horrible as they are, they are. But but Paul teaches us that they're not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Those things that seem so overwhelming to us now will not even be worth the trouble of bringing them to mind. They'll be like the dandelions that we want out of our lawn or like the bird seed that we don't care about for sustaining the birds. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So all that we store and all that we fix our eyes on and the master, the Lord that we serve, we have to understand these once again in the light of redemption accomplished by Jesus Christ. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means that in every area of our lives, in the big things, whatever the big things are for you, but in the relationships of our lives and the troubles that we face, but that even in the smallest things, the things that we eat, the things that we drink, the things that we wear, all of these have been touched and affected by the redemption of Jesus Christ for the believer. So in closing, you cannot serve two masters. But who would ever want to serve that cruel master of everything that is destined for decay and destruction? Secondly, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Jesus is the one who can tell you not to worry because he has accomplished your redemption and he is applying that redemption. And thirdly, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we hear your word and we are always struggling with the now and the not yet, with the things we know that you have accomplished and the things which have yet which have yet to be applied. And so we think about the scriptures that promise that, they all already promise that we have been raised with Christ. We know that we have already died with Christ, that we have been crucified with Christ, and that we have been raised with him. That is the reality of your sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. So I pray that you would allow us, enable us more and more to set our hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Please enable us more and more to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. Lord, whatever it is that we're setting our minds on, even our affections on, on earthly things, Please remove those and help us to cling to Christ because in him we already have died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, Lord, as we need comfort, I pray that you would comfort your sheep. Do not let us lose heart. 
we do confess, Lord, that outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So please, Lord, do take these things, do feed your sheep according to each of our needs, and please help us to consider everything in this world a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake we have lost all things. So we praise you, Lord Jesus, because you are our Lord, and we ask that to you would be the glory forever. Amen.